You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Sex and relationship advice you can use tonight. Welcome to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. I'm your co-host, Brandon Ware, here with my lovely other half, Dr. Jess. Hey, hey, are you ready to talk fetishes? I am. Do you know anything about sissification? I absolutely do not. Or chastity kinks? I could I could infer as to what chastity kinks might be, but I'd love to learn from somebody who knows a whole lot more than I do. We're going to be doing just that. We're going to be talking about even understanding our kinks, like why are we into what mm. we're into. I'm hoping we're going to delve into kink and fetish play as potential avenues for healing, for working through restrictive trauma that relates to sex, that relates to eroticism, that relates to our identity, especially to our gender, mm-hmm. especially when we think about things like sissification. And we're going to be talking with a fabulous personality in just a moment. Before we get to them, a big thank you to adamandeve.com for their continued support of this program. Code Dr. Jess at adamandeve.com gets you 50% off almost any single item plus free shipping. And I think they're throwing in something like 10 free gifts. Some of them are little gifts. Yeah, that they wrap up and some videos, all that jazz. Adamandeve.com code Dr. Jess. All right. Are you ready to get into it? Let's do it. All right. Joining us now is sexologist, psychotherapist, host of the Naughty-licious Sex Podcast, Carlos Cavosos. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thanks for having me back. Now, last I saw you, we were in Austin. That feels like mm-hmm. a gazillion years ago. Your, it was, yeah. Yeah, your YouTube channel, Ask Carlos, has taken off. I saw you hit the million mark just the other day. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was doing really good. <laughs> it was doing so well. And then it was recently removed for And then sexually, it was recently removed. For sexually, sexually... gratifying content. Yeah, exactly. Which is so crazy to think that, you know, when we when I met you here in Austin, the channel had just kind of started. And then it just kind of started, you know, blowing up. And right before I got removed, it was getting like, constantly like lots of views, lots of subscribers. So it was kind of crazy that I just suddenly got an email saying your ask Carlos, your channel has been removed from YouTube for like sexually gratifying content. And I'm like, what is what? how you know like everything I do is very educational and and informative and comedic there's nothing that would be sexually gratifying but I think problem lies in the the bias of whoever's watching the content right so like I was explaining to someone a video of someone painting their nails might be like okay it's just a video of someone painting their nails but to someone who's into feet that would be like very sexually gratifying so I was kind of like at the mercy of whoever decided to watch that video or whatever videos were um were flagged or anything because there's no nudity the you know there's really there's really not much on there except just talking about things that maybe people find offensive or disturbing or maybe they're disturbed because they're turned on by it and decide like you know what this shouldn't be on youtube because it's making me horny right now (laughs) absolutely i mean i think about that word gratifying what do you want on youtube sexually off-putting contents sexually stressful content like it's so sad even if it had said sexually explicit of course i don't believe we should be censoring everything explicit but gratifying that just seems like such a beautiful word i want my food to be gratifying i want my connections to be gratifying i want my Mm -hmm. work to be gratifying of course i want my sex to be gratifying gratifying. (laughs) this is so sad well i hope you i hope you get back online i know you have a big following with the naughty licious sex podcast so folks can definitely listen there but are you fighting to get back on youtube i started that 
I am. I am. I was like, it was kind of funny because it happened maybe like two weeks before I was supposed to go on like a week long vacation to Mexico. And, you know, in the online world, a week is like a month, you know? <laughs> so the minute I found that out, I was like, I had just been working on starting that podcast. And yeah, I feel like the minute I was just, I went into like fight or flight mode and, you know, I do everything myself. So I edited a whole show. I did all the artwork. I did everything. And I put it out like within the week of being removed from YouTube, I was on everywhere with the Naughty Licious podcast. And I actually titled the episode like you can't keep a real bitch down. Right? Because right, you know, if someone tries to knock you down, you just got to keep going, even if it's too gratifying, which is crazy because that week I was like super depressed. And you know, so depressed that I finally watched Euphoria, which everyone was telling me like, oh, you need to watch it, you need to watch it. But you know, the work that I do a lot of times is very intense. So and that show always looked a little too, too mopey for me. But I was finally in the right headspace or the wrong headspace, whichever way you want to look at it, to actually watch it. And it was just so shocking that it's like, it's so hypersexual. And then it just got me thinking about how like the culture, everything's just so sexualized and so over the top. And you can watch all these things for entertainment. But then when you're trying to learn about how to do it safely, like, you know, you get removed from YouTube. So it's, it's, it's insanity. That absolutely is something to think about the gratuitous sexuality and nudity and sexualization of teenagers who are 15, 16, 17. Yes, I acknowledge that they are actors who are, I don't know, 19, 20, 21, or however old they are. I don't know. 30. Yeah, it's not like 90210. Remember the old 90210 with Steve? Yeah. What was his name? Ian Zaring? That guy must have been 46 when he was playing a high school character. Him and Andrea. Him and Andrea. yeah. Yeah. Do you remember Andrea? the gymnast one and Mm -hmm. so folks if you haven't watched euphoria on hbo um it's a story of addiction it's a story of coming of age it's a story that that is just peppered with sexual scenes anchored by sexual scenes and and really hype hyper sexualizing i think especially the female body mostly and thankfully a lot of penis you know lots of penis but not as much (laughs) um, not erect penises right no no unfortunately none of that (laughs) well isn't it interesting though that there are all these titty shots like close-ups of these all different types of boobs and there are those nipples are erect but they show the penises in a in a very very different way and so we can you're right we can watch that for entertainment we can opt in and out of that but the educational side gets censored actually a few months ago my podcast was also taken down and i had to go fight with apple and i think it was down for about a week or so uh, Mm. before we got it back up i didn't even stress i was like listen if the if this is the end this is the end like i'm not gonna right i'm too too old and tired to be fighting with all these people (laughs) all the time but i i'm really thrilled that you are entering the podcast space i'm thrilled that you're here with us today to talk about some topics that we haven't really talked about before so we're going to talk about chastity play and chastity fetishes as well as sissification uh two Mm -hmm. approaches so hot right now (laughs) So hot right now. I said said to you earlier, what's hot right now in the fetish world? Now, you talk about kinks. And this morning, I was on a a call with a women's underwear retailer. So they carry over something, you know, like 1,400 different pairs of unique underwear. So couture brands from Italy and France and all over the world. I think they might be the biggest underwear retailer site. So it's adores.com, A-D-O-R-E-E-S. And um, they shared that a significant proportion of their clients are straight men who enjoy wearing women's underwear for the sensation, 
for the subversion, for the beauty, and that they don't necessarily want to bend gender in other realms. Like they might be wearing their suit to the office, but wearing women's underwear underneath. They might be at the gym pumping iron, but be wearing a thong underneath. Now, first I want to acknowledge that, of course, Gender is not binary, and so underwear is not for women or for men. But the fashion world, and most of us, let's let's be honest, still tend to divide it along those lines. So is this something right. you've run into in your practice where people don't have an interest in bending gender in other realms but do love the underwear piece? Yes. So with sissification, like I was telling you earlier, uh, it's a huge chunk of my current work. I I always did like sex coaching and just couples counseling and stuff like that. But uh, with YouTube, I had started doing videos on sissification and like cross-dressing and stuff like that. And so I've been doing a lot of work with individuals and couples who are either just starting out with sissification and just trying to figure out like how that's going to work in their relationship dynamic or you know fighting through the shame that comes with a kink like sissification and and forced feminization which we will definitely talk about but I've noticed that there's just so many different reasons of why people get into it that I even identified seven types of sissies with (laughs) okay okay can you can you back up for us what is sissification to begin with? So sissification and forced feminization is essentially a type of like role play kink where the person who is usually assigned male at birth, it's, you know, there are all genders in it, but it's usually refers to that. And they are either coerced or forced or seduced into being more feminine or being in feminine clothing or doing things like so commonly associated with, you know, femininity. But when and kind you, of giving that manhood away to their partner. And when you say coerced or forced, it's with consent. So you're playing exactly, a scene. Exactly, always, right, yeah, role so you're, play, you're, right. Yeah, you're playing a scene where you're pretending to be forced into something. Exactly. So this could be someone who maybe is has always thought, you know, they look through those websites, through the Adori underwear, and they're like, oh, that, that looks so great. I, I want to try it on. But they don't have that. They're not capable to do it for whatever mental roadblocks that they have. And it's easier for them to be like, you know what, if my partner forces me into wearing these panties, that, that kind of takes the pressure off me. And I can just be like, OK, well, you know what, they're, they're making me do it and just enjoy it. Ah, interesting. Okay. And so uh, what are some of the popular activities? So you mentioned that could be wearing underwear. And I want to actually take it back to, of course, some of the Mm -hmm. folks who are purchasing underwear and wearing it under their clothes don't want to necessarily get into sissification. They may just like the underwear for the sake of the underwear, which I think is so beautiful to me. It's so powerful, so Mm -hmm. sensual. When I think about like it looks good. Yeah, like I think about Brandon in his suit where he, he looks smoking hot. Like, I mean, I haven't seen him in a suit in a long time because he's always in shorts and a t-shirt working from home. <laughs> but uh, I would think about him in his suit, which he used to wear almost, you know, every day. And there being something really surprising under there, like, uh, like a mm-hmm. pink thong or something lacy. I actually think I never really thought about it until this morning, but I'm like, that's really hot. Yeah, so I would kind of categorize 
in the the seven sissies that I've identified, one of them is the bedroom sissy. Okay. And that is more of the person who, you know, the laundry just makes them feel sexy. So they may not necessarily like the humiliation aspects of it or the other sort of like chastity training or anal training or any of, of that other stuff. But they, you know, just putting on that panty or putting on that garter belt or, you know, putting on that lipstick just makes them feel so sexy. And, and they love that. And it's really popular right now. If you're like on Twitter, you almost see it like all of the time now, the like people in like lacy underwear or like garter bells and stuff like that. And now there are companies that do it with the, the intention of sissies where the underwear is, you know, it has a pouch, <laughs> like a little sissy pouch for their, what they call a useless clitty at that point. <laughs> Okay, so we have seven (laughs) types of sissification that you've identified. So the first is the bedroom, which might just be about wearing the the lingerie and Mm -hmm. feeling that in their body. What are the other, other six? So the other one would be the subservient sissy, which that one is more of, they may not necessarily be into it themselves, but maybe they have their partner who likes dressing them up. You know, I I have had a lot of women who just love dressing their husbands up in their lipsticks and in their panties. And and they're more of like an aiming to please their partner, you know, so they go along with the sissification journey because it's something that turns their partner on. And that handing over their manhood is seen as like the ultimate way of surrendering their power to their dominant. And then there's also the humiliation sissy, which that one is all about, you know, looking a hot mess, uh, put them in a cheap party city wig, like smear that lipstick all over them, tell them that they look dumb, you know, like make them suck on a dildo while you're making fun of them and inviting your friends over to laugh. So there's that one. And then the helpless sissy is more of a, like a damsel in distress in a slutty little dress, I like to say, where they like to act like real like, oh no, I'm just such a dumb little girl. Like, oh, what am I going to do with this penis? You know, and then like the the person will show them or walk them through like, oh, well, this is how you suck dick or this is how you take this peg, you know? And then the charm school sissy, which is like my favorite. It's just like hyper feminine. They like like doing like tea parties and just like you will see they love ruffles. So if you've ever seen like people in like fetish videos where they almost kind of look like a little doll with those roughly pink dresses and like the curly hair, that would be more of a charm school sissy. And then the super popular sissy maid, like that, I never knew how popular it was until I got involved in this type of work but there's just something about the maid outfit and like serving their partner you know serving their partner's friends it's just like huge turn on for a lot of people in in that king and then the last one is the sissy slut which is like the anything goes i'll take it all you know learning to sissy gasm Okay, so these seven layers of sissification, actually, I find it so fascinating, both personally and professionally, like I love the escapism of some of these. I love the idea of, you know, gender is so prescriptive, and I think so tough on men. Uh, Like when you think about hetero cis men being told they have to be all of these things, and then you get to dress up and host a tea party. Like it just it feels like I know, right? (laughs) Such an escape to me. And obviously, that's not what that's not me because I'm a woman. But like, I think about all the role play that is appealing to me is really about escapism. It's about escaping from the pressure and the expectations and even some, like for me, some of the perfectionism. So Brandon, I'm curious what your reaction is to these types of sissies or if anything appeals to you or if you're uncomfortable with it or if you're off-put, what are you thinking? Yeah, I mean, I, I think initially I'm 
I'm not off put by it, but I think I'd just be uncomfortable with trying this out for the first time. I think I wouldn't know where to start. I think if I, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm open to anything, but if it were to be introduced, I wouldn't know where to begin. And yeah, no, it, it, I wouldn't say I feel triggered by it, but I certainly feel uncomfortable. Is with there the idea anything of, that appeals to it, appeals to you about it at all? I, I think the, the idea of being subservient to you is interesting. Maybe play with that a little bit and then perhaps seeing where that goes, right? Using the, that mm -hmm. as the entrance to this new idea and then playing with that. Yeah, and that's really and interesting. It's also like, and the thing I was going to mention is when when you start, when you think of like sissification, it's referred to a lot as like sissy training, right? And that's because there's a whole system where you're positively and negatively rewarded, right? For doing something like putting on the panties or putting on the lipstick or, you know, whatever it is that your dominant wants. There is a constant reinforcement of that behavior where you start feeling really good about doing it because it's pleasing your partner and they're giving you like rewards, you know, all the rewards and these types of, with any kind of kink, it's kind of weird because you know some rewards are sometimes punishments depending on the situation like a uh, punishment could be you know putting someone in a chastity cage it could be a huge reward for someone so you just got to make sure to talk with your partner and figure out what is a reward for them and what is a punishment for them yeah that makes sense uh, what I really appreciate about this is that I always think that everything comes back to the feelings right so it's not about the underwear it's not about necessarily the way they look at you it's not necessarily about the physical act it's about how any of those things makes you feel right because every human experience is an emotional one and so Brandon I can kind of guess that sissification isn't immediately appealing to you but you're pulling the piece out around subservience right and that mm -hmm. is starting perhaps a new conversation for us because I definitely am more on the submissive side when it comes to sex mostly because I feel so tired of being in control like I feel like yeah. I mean well, you're a bad bitch you know <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like a classic tale as old as time where you're just so busy running shit that at the end of the day you know you just want someone to run your shit for you that's exactly it. But I also love the power. Like I think back to the beginning of our relationship where definitely I was much more dominant. I was a different person then. I was I was a student. I was like bartending. And now I have a very yeah. different life, as you said, where there's a lot of there's a lot of power in what I do, like mm -hmm. standing on stage and holding a crowd, even just being asked to go somewhere. Like I think about, you know, right. if if a client is going to bring me all the way to Romania or all the way to the Philippines or wherever, there's some value in what I'm doing. Like there's a lot of power in it. And then I think about my role in my family and the role among my friends and even the role in my community. I want no power. <laughs> like I just, I want to let it go. As you said, tale as old as time. Now you mentioned something else that's really interesting and that's chastity fetish play. Mm -hmm. So did this, does this go for folks with penises and vulvas or are you like yes, in sissification I guess it's for the penis exactly right I mean it's it's popular mostly with people with penises I would say it's very rare but I mean I think like with most fetishes right like it's very rare to have like a cis biological woman who's like really into fetishes except like you know like the hyperstophilia where they're really into like people who are like committing crimes and stuff like that but other than that you don't really see a lot of females being into it into like fetishes really um 
I see it. Yeah, yeah. I see oh, it. I love it. Send them my way. I'd love to talk with them. Well, can we actually back up and talk about what is a fetish? Yes, yes, yes. So, you know, there's a difference between a kink and a fetish. So there's a lot of uh, women who do have kinks, right? Which is just like you, there is something that you really enjoy that really turns you on that maybe most people wouldn't think like, oh yeah, that's that's sexual or that's sexy. But with a fetish, it's more like it becomes more of a, it's something that you need to have in order order to um in the extreme cases you know like to even get aroused like someone with a foot fetish they will need a foot involved somewhere for them to actually get aroused and someone with a foot kink you know it's like they would like it but they don't really need it you know what i mean so when it comes with fetishes i think that's probably where you know the studies talk about the women being not too into fetishes i think it's because they're a lot more flexible with things Yeah, that makes sense. Now, you're an educator, obviously, on YouTube, but you're also a psychotherapist. So how do you decide or how does a client or an individual decide when we could benefit from digging into our fantasies or kinks or fetishes and actually trying to understand them uh, versus simply just accepting them and enjoying them? Because I often hear like the big questions I get are why? Like, why am I into this? Why did I develop this desire? Why do I have this fetish or kink? And there's so many theories as to the origin of fetishes, right? Like early erotic associations or subversion of previous negative experiences. Uh, What do you come across in practice? When do we decide if we need to dig in and understand? And when do we decide if we're like, no, man, I'm just going to enjoy the ride? Right. Well, as a as a psychotherapist, you know, I talk to people when they're not in a good place, right? So for the most part, they're not coming where it's like, oh yeah, everything's amazing. Let me let me talk to this uh, therapist. So most of the times that I do start talking with people, there is some underlying issue that they're trying to work through, and it's usually like kink related, right? And it's usually shame related. Mm. So like a perfect example is you know the cis male who is like, I really, I really want to be feminized I really want to put on a little dress and like a little diamond butt plug and feel sexy and like get pegged or or whatever but I I can't do it and I just can't stop thinking about it and I really want to do it but I can't do it so it's like working through that shame they know that it's there and it's been nagging them for a really long time and they just can't shake it out of their head to where they're thinking like I feel like I might want to engage in this in a healthy way just so I can stop the noise that's in my head that's telling me like oh like you're a sicko or how you want this or like that's twisted or you know it's usually a lot of negative self-talk that's happening and when we're talking about this particular kink where it's for a cis male right like being more feminine is usually seen as a negative thing so to have like society saying like you know you you can't like pink or you can't like sparkles or you can't you know wear a dress or lace or whatever and they want to do it they're like well I want to do it but all this the whole world is telling me that I'm sick for even wanting to do it but there's just something in me that really wants to just try it out and it's really just getting in touch with your feminine side right with If it wasn't for all those labels, people would have just been able to wear whatever they want and feel sexy without having to feel like, oh my God, is there something wrong? Right. I guess it's that sense of permission. Like if you've given yourself permission and society has given you permission to explore, you probably don't need to dig in. But when you're burdened with that shame, it can be helpful to look at origins to overcome some of that shame. 
That's and that's so where a lot of like the humiliation too kind of starts tying into it. So I have found that maybe they express an interest in things that were stereotypically associated with femininity. And then maybe they were shamed into it. You know, it's kind of, it kind of reminds me there was this like practice a long time ago. It was used as a form of punishment. It was called petticoating. And it was basically like a form of punishment on boys. They would humiliate them by putting them in girls clothing. Right. And that was a form of punishment. So, and, and you kind of see things like that today right like oh you're crying like a girl no oh, yeah um and things like that so maybe at some point they were they showed an interest in something more feminine and they got shamed or humiliated into mm. it and they work through that you know sometimes they just embrace it sometimes they work through it sometimes with you know with trauma pain and fear a lot of the times people work through it because instead of something that's causing them pain like humiliation you know saying like oh my you, you look like a girl and that was humiliating to them if they eroticize that yes. it's no longer painful now it's exciting now it's you know enticing now it's erotic and they can actually enjoy themselves and eroticizing that pain and and they're good. That's such a beautiful transformation to take the, mm -hmm. the trauma of gender prescriptions and play it out in something erotic because I, I'm sure there are folks listening who are thinking like this is so out there why would you be into right. sissification? But I would I would be curious as to whether when we see sissification as a potential mode of healing, I wonder if there's any sort of increase given how strict our gender norms are and that given how like strong the consequences are for bending gender norms, right? Like even at, as you said, three years old, you reach for the wrong toy and someone makes fun of you, right? And then right. six years old, you give someone a hug or seven years old, you cry because you fell and you're shamed for those things. And I'm right. so curious if this could be, um, you know, a more popular mode of healing. So very interesting to me. Now, I, you know, I had asked you about chastity and then I'm sorry, I took mm -hmm. us off track. So chastity, what does it chastity. involve? Chastity play so chastity play is essentially putting on well it doesn't it usually involves putting on some sort of chastity device okay. whether that's a cage or um I mean, it could be anything that the person decides to use as a, it, it can be mental. You know, it's essentially saying, I'm not going to be touching this penis until you give me permission to do it. So they lock themselves up in chastity, literally, you know, like in a cage and they give their key to the key holder. And then the key holder decides when they can be encaged, when they can finally masturbate, when they can finally orgasm. And then, and then that's also, you know, like with everything, everything with kinks and fetishes, everything is just so individual that for some people, again, with the whole, being subservient you know just handing over that my penis is yours now you can decide when i use it or not for other people it's more of that with the cisification at that point their penis especially with the humiliation aspect you know their penis is no longer a penis because they're a little sissy now it's a useless clitty you know so it should be locked up because there's no need for it it's useless right so if you want to find pleasure you're going to get pleasure from pleasing your dominant or you're going to get pleasure by learning how to orgasm anally like a little sissy should you know and things like that so there's that difference between doing it for that humiliation aspect doing it to feel more in touch with your femininity and then also doing it as a form of surrendering your power to the to your dominant or your key holder in that particular case 
so many beautiful layers there leading to a broadening of sexual horizons when you think about anal training, right? Perhaps being next on the The list. The sissygasm, the the elusive sissygasm. You know, everyone, I would say that's like the number one thing that people that reach out to me for coaching and for sissy training want to know about is a a sissygasm. How do I get the sissygasm, which is essentially the hands-free anal orgasm, you know? So a lot of the times I'll kind of like walk them through that or just give them my my tips on on how to do that. How do you do it? Yeah. <laughs> How do you do it hands free? So it's a process, you know, like everyone can learn to orgasm in different ways. You know, if you really put your mind and effort, you, you can do it. And that's why it's so important. I always tell people, regardless of what we're working on is to like masturbate with different hands, you know, get used to orgasming in different ways. Cause then that's how people are like, oh, I, I can never come from a hand job or I can never come in this other position. Cause I'm always orgasming from here or whatever. Right. And so the sissygasm is essentially that you're just training yourself to orgasm in a different way. Now, of course, with someone with a penis, they do have that prostate, which is going to feel good. And, you know, it's going to build up the juices and kind of give you that grand finale. But that doesn't take away from the years and often decades of training yourself to orgasm, especially when you're masturbating, you have the hand down there, you're doing the stroking motion, you know, maybe pinching your nipples or tightening your legs or whatever each person does. And they need that like to orgasm. They Their mind can't associate an orgasm with not touching their penis. With a sissygasm, maybe that's the with the help of a chastity cage. So you won't be, so you can't even touch it if you wanted to. But it's like you essentially are trying to learn to build up to where you only orgasm through anal penetration. So the way that I explain oh. to people is ride, ride a dildo or something thrusting or a little butt plug or something, like really get down to it and just masturbate the way you normally would you know like you're stroking and you're riding you're stroking and you're riding and then when you feel really really close to orgasming at first maybe like a second before you orgasm let go and just keep riding it and then the rest will push it out right at first it will start like maybe like half a second well they'll let go and they instantly come but then the next time Try for two seconds, you know, two seconds before you come, let go and just like hop on that dildo or have on that penis or whatever, and let that do the rest of the work. And then you just keep doing it until, you know, it's gone to like a minute before. So at that point, you're writing a dildo and you got into the headspace of like, this is what it feels like when it's building up and this is what it's going to, the release is going to be like, and then they have that orgasm. Okay, so you are stimulating the prostate or at least the anus. You're stimulating okay. the prostate. When you said hands-free, yeah. I thought no hands. So when you say hands-free, you mean right. no hands on the penis. Hats off the penis. Hands yeah, off the penis. Off okay, the penis. cool. So a prostate orgasm, very, very interesting. What's very interesting to me about all the things you're talking about within the realm of sissification is that the broad range of sex acts and approaches and interactions and roles you can play can be played with or without sissification, right? Like you can have a prostate yes. orgasm that is not totally. considered a mm-hmm. sissy orgasm. You can wear women's lacy underwear without the desire to be sissified. So some people will lean into the desire to play that role of a sissy and some people won't. I think a really important question here is how do we ensure that when we're playing with sissification that we're not doing it in a sexist way that's kind of anti-feminine that assumes that the feminine is inherently subjugated? Yes. So it's really, really tricky because as a whole, you know, you look at specification and forced feminization and you think like it's just so sexist, right? Like it almost reduces women to being a helpless sexual object who all they do is like 
make tea, you know, uh, serve a penis and just like look pretty. And uh, talking to, I've interviewed like a lot of dominatrixes. Uh, I actually got satisfied in a sex dungeon for one of my videos. And we were, I always asked them like, how do you work through that? You know, through that whole, how like, you know, essentially you're humiliating someone for being feminine when you yourself are feminine, right? So they always tell me how important it is to one, have that communication in the beginning, right? Of like, what is it that you're into about this? What turns you on about this? Because when a person hears it, especially if they're female identifying and they see a kink like this and they're like, okay, whoa, like this is not what it means to be female at all, you know? But maybe their partner just wants to get in touch with their feminine side and it has nothing to do with the stereotypical female like attributes or anything like that. Or maybe they just like feeling humiliated and that's just the way that they, that they like to be humiliated. So one I would say is find out what it is that your partner likes about that particular kink, because it might not be what you think. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, if it is what you think, then that's when you set up those boundaries, like that may be what you're into, but that's not what I'm into. But as your partner or whatever, you know. I do want to meet you halfway so we can engage in this, but it's not going to be associated with female equals bad. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe I will humiliate you for not being as a badass female as I am, mm -hmm. but not for looking female, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah, it absolutely does. I think the context of the relationship makes all the difference. Like I think about no matter what I do with Brandon, no matter where we go, like psychologically with kink, whether it's a humiliation, mm -hmm. whether it's uh, for me, I really like feelings of inadequacy adequacy because the foundation of the relationship is the opposite of that because the foundation of the relationship really is being one another's equals feeling supported feeling respected I can play with really almost anything so really really fascinating stuff uh, for folks who maybe are curious about sissification who especially if you're feeling off put right now I want or if you're thinking like this isn't for me I want you to dig deeper I want you to think like which part of this am I perhaps running away from without giving right. it a chance so for folks who do want to explore this uh, or introduce it you know with themselves or with a partner where do we begin how do we start that conversation or reflection like with any other type of kinker fetish that you have it's important to one get to know yourself get to know, I always tell everyone, identify what exactly you like about this particular kink and then identify what turns you on about it and why it turns you on. Because when you bring it up to a partner, we all have our own ideas of what a kink means and what a fetish is, you know, and it might not be the exact same way, you know, like kinks and fetishes are not like one panty fits all, everyone is different. So when you talk to your partner about it, you better have all the answers that they don't even know about, that they, you know, answers to the questions that they don't even have yet, because they're going to have like, oh, you want to beat me? Does that mean that you just like, you're just violent? And it's like, no, I just like the, what turns me on about that is like, you know, you submitting yourself to me and trusting me. That's what I like. It's not like hitting you that I like. It's that, that act of giving, trusting me to a certain degree, right? So it's figuring out what you like about it so you can explain it to your partner in a way that will make sense for them because then they also got to figure out how to engage in it with you, right? Like, I'll give you an example. So maybe there's like a partner and he's been 
watching like sissy porn and thinking about like sissification for like decades and he's just mustering up the courage to talk to his wife about it and he finally lets her know hey you know I'm really into sissification and uh forced feminization and I really want to try that with you and the partners you know a little hesitant but they're like okay they don't talk about it anything else the partner's just like you know what just look into it and then we can try it so the partner looks into it and maybe they see chastity or a small penis humiliation right like your penis is a useless clitty now but let's say this person is more of a bedroom sissy right they just want to feel sexy and lingerie and stuff like that so you know the night comes the moment comes they meet their partner in the bedroom their partner hands over a pair of like little pink lacy panties and they're getting all excited they're like they put the panties on they're just thinking like oh my god yes i'm finally getting what i want this is so exciting and then their partner starts being all like look at that small little penis it's so useless such a little clitty it's not a real penis and that person's not into that aspect of humiliation insensification all of a sudden they're gonna be like wait no 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 that's not that's not what i want there's a huge turn off and then that experience of, oh my God, I'm finally getting this release turns into a negative one for everyone involved. And then it's not going to be like, they're not going to want to try it again if they have that negative experience. You know, I always tell everyone, you want to make sure that any small steps you take are positive and good. So it makes them more likely that you, you and your partner, who's maybe not into it, are more likely to want to continue engaging in it because it's a good, it's a good feeling. It's a good outcome. That's right. That makes sense that we really have to talk about these things specifically. I can't just say, hey, I'm into being dominated and assume that 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 makes sense to Brandon. Or he can't say, hey, Mm -hmm. I really want to explore cystification. And that's the end of a conversation. I think uh, especially when we're uncomfortable with what our partners are into, we try and keep the conversations really brief when in fact, the more uncomfortable we are, I think the more specificity is required in these communications. And so it really makes me think about how do we cultivate a relationship, an environment, a communication style that ensures that my partner can come to me with anything. Like to me, that's what makes for a great relationship. Not that you're into the same things, not even that you'll necessarily engage in in their fantasies, not even that that you'll meet them halfway, but just that you're really open and creating an environment that's Mm -hmm. judgment-free so that if Brandon comes to me with something that honestly my first reaction might be super off put I'm gonna hold on take a breath and say I'm glad you shared that with me right like I'm so glad like and I might even say I don't I'm not even sure how to respond I could even say I'm not I'm not feeling really comfortable with that but I want to explore this discomfort like that's on me that's not on you like I'm so glad that you were able to figure out what you're into and of course my philosophy in life is that I don't want to hold Brandon back from any pleasure I don't want to hold him Mm -hmm. back from any source of fulfillment I feel like you know we we've been together forever okay we were kids when we met and that these 20 years have flown by and if I only get like 60 more years it feels like it would never be enough so in that short lifetime I don't want to hold him back so I would really challenge people however you're reacting to ideas of chat city play or sissification to use this as a a learning opportunity or reminder like what is it that you want to create for your partner or your partners like what are you trying to cultivate and I I think for all of us it really is we want to create an environment where we can be judgment free right where people can feel supported and also where we're we're creating space for every opportunity possible and I know that's really scary I think especially in the context of monogamy but if we can look at it as why like why do I want to hold them back from this where did I 
where did I receive those messages? And that's where I think someone like you comes in in such a great space to not only coach, but also as a psychotherapist to help us dig in and think about, okay, so why am I so uncomfortable with this? Is it that what I'm desiring is problematic or is it the sociocultural norms have made it so problematic that it's causing distress for me? So I absolutely encourage people to keep learning from you, to follow along. Hopefully that Ask Carlos YouTube page will be back up soon. But in the meantime, (laughs) in the meantime, people can find you um, hosting the Naughty Licious Sex Podcast. You also have your website, counselingbycarlos.com. And I'll make sure we're tagging all of those things in the show notes. For folks listening, I am going to shout out because I had this meeting this morning with adories.com. Now, I want to be really clear. Buying underwear for yourself or for a partner, regardless of gender, isn't necessarily tied to specification, but I really thought of Carlos when I was chatting with them. And it's Adoris, A-D-O-R-E-E-S.com. And I believe they're they're creating a discount code for me. And they've got the most beautiful options for underwear, regardless of your genitals, regardless of your gender identity, regardless of whatever gender you were assigned at birth. Beautiful, beautiful stuff from some couture brands of which I'm a huge fan. So Adoris.com, code Dr. Jess to save a little. So encourage people to go check that out as well. Brandon, anything you want to add? Sounds so sexy. (laughs) Uh, No, I thought that was great. I mean, lots for me to think about. I'm very happy to hear that some of the underwear that Carlos made reference to that's very soft and silky also is supportive for those of us with penises (laughs) because that was immediately where I went to. I was like... I had silk boxers when I was younger and they were great. They were super comfortable. They felt great. Sometimes too comfortable if you get what I'm, where I'm going at here. Um, but the idea right now of having a little support, you know, I kind of appreciate that. I'm just going to go TMI. Brandon needs ball support. It's I your do. Balls. I need, I like some ball support. Yeah, I'm he, just saying. He likes yeah. them held in place. Yeah. Uh, Carlos, yeah, thank yeah. you so much for being with us. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. An absolute pleasure. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with a whole new episode. You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Improve your sex life. Improve your life.